How you going? Good? That's good. Can we pray just before I preach this morning? Uh, Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for what you want to do in our hearts. And so we open ourselves to your Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We've got, a, uh, we've got a saying in our society, you would have heard it, uh, you don't know what you don't know. Who's heard that? Yeah. You don't know what you don't know, which sort of sounds obvious, but it takes a little bit to get your head around it. It actually speaks to the fact that there's gaps in our knowledge. You can have a gap, who's worked that out? You can have a gap in your knowledge. Yeah. Husbands, who's worked that out? There you go. Every man in the room just agreed. I thought I'd pick on the easiest group. Uh, but we have a gap in our knowledge. And I guess what's scary about that statement is, is that you can actually be ignorant of what you don't know. You don't know what you don't know. So not only is there a gap, but you don't even know where the gap is. But isn't it interesting? There's things in life that help you find the gaps. Who's noticed that? Hey, if you guys don't get lively, more lively... I'm going to preach to one o'clock and then Sue will never forgive me. So you need to save my marriage. Uh, I, I've just got to say too, those testimonies were just amazing. Just so good, so good, so good. Um, you don't know what you don't know, but there's things in life that sort of help you find out where the gaps are. So who's ever been in a place where we, we've all experienced this, you don't know what you're doing? And then you realise, I haven't got a clue. I don't know what I'm doing. I might have thought I knew what I was doing, but I don't. And sometimes that can be something like a test at school. Turn up for the test and then you find the gaps. Uh, it might be work. You know, you start a job, you're excited about the job, you get to the job and you realise there is so much to learn. There's so much I don't know. I do not know what I'm doing. How terrifying is it to work that out at the matrimonial altar, at your wedding? I reckon that is common to everyone who ever got married. You're at the altar and you go, I don't know what I'm doing. And if you don't say it that day, you'll definitely say it the next. You know, I don't know what I'm doing. Uh, I think obviously when we have kids, hey, that's a real big wake-up call to the gaps in your knowledge. And it's like, how does any child survive? How does any child survive? I mean, that's quite miraculous itself because you're just like thrown in the deep end and you've got to work it out. But you do, which is a good thing. I think what could be the scariest about this whole thought of not knowing and not knowing what you're doing is that when you live that way, you can be oblivious to the impact and the consequences of what you don't know, what you don't understand or or being somewhere where you don't know what you're doing and it actually has implications. It actually has impact. Um, I know for me, I, I think straight away, uh, my first attempt to cook spaghetti bolognese. Now, that sounds simple enough, doesn't it? Yeah. Bit of spag bog, sounds pretty interesting, pretty, uh, pretty easy. And, uh, but the funny thing is, all of my children to this day are very happy to tell everyone they meet about Dad's first attempt at spaghetti bolognese because it was many years ago and, uh, and it's like it was Dad's time to cook, Dad's turn to cook for whatever reason and I thought, I have seen my wife make spag bog yeah. 
you know, endless amount of times, it doesn't look like there's anything to it. Who knows that garlic is good? Garlic, garlic is good in spaghetti bolognese. So I chopped up a whole heap of garlic and I thought, you know, plenty of garlic because garlic's good, so plenty of garlic, in it goes. And then I went to the cupboard and I found a dolmio sauce mix that actually said extra roasted garlic. So I added that in too. I was the only one who could eat it. I was the only one who could eat it. This was so garlicky, so strong. It was actually hot. It was like, did you put chilli in this? No, it's just so much garlic in it. And it was like, even though it was in an airtight sealed container in the fridge, when you walk past the fridge, your eyes just began to water a little bit. It was unbelievable. And at that point, my kids knew and I knew that I obviously had no idea what I was doing. What I want to talk to us today about is out of Luke chapter 23, and Jesus addresses another group of people, and he informs them, you do not know what you're doing. It's actually at the crucifixion. It's at the passion of Christ where Jesus goes to the cross. And Luke chapter 23, verse 32 says, there were also two others, criminals, led with him to be put to death. And when they'd come to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him and the criminals one on the right hand and the other on the left. And then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And they divided his garments and and cast lots. And, And I think when Jesus said this, I don't think he was just saying it about the, the ones who were doing it. You know, the, the Roman soldiers who were tasked with carrying out the execution. I don't think he was saying it just about the ones who had actually orchestrated it, the political and religious leaders of his time that orchestrated this moment in time. I don't think he was saying... I think that this, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do, echoes through the annals of time right down to us. Decade after decade, century after century, generation after generation. We've heard testimonies this morning of people who've come to understand that no matter what life looked like, no matter what life was, God does not hold it against them. That Jesus' words, Father, forgive them, ring true right till now. But you know, sometimes we read passages like this And we can be so dismissive, we can be so quick to just go, oh yeah, and give it mental assent. But when I looked at this, I thought, they don't know what they're doing? What? Technically, that's not true. I did a little bit of research. And the soldiers, just talking about the soldiers that were there, the Roman guard, they were actually of the the Legio Ten Fratensis. This was a Roman unit that had been formed 40 years before the birth of Christ. They'd already fought two major wars. Their name actually came from a victory, the 10th Legion of the Strait, and they won a maritime victory. They were battle-hardened. By the time they came to Palestine, they had executed thousands. Crucifixion was the standard form of shame for political enemies. In one episode alone, in 4 BC, 
the Roman general Varsus crucified 2,000 Jews in one day. One event, 2,000 crucifixions. So when Jesus says they don't know what they're doing, I don't think he means they're pretty sloppy at execution. They're a bit unskilled when it comes to putting people to death. These guys knew exactly what they were doing. So it's like, what did, what, what, why would Jesus say they don't know what they do, they're doing when they so obviously do? So it makes you question, well, what, was he, what did he mean by that? Did he mean, um, like we would often say, oh, they're just um, only human? Mere mortals, just dummies. But I don't think God would ever, ever minimise the value of humanity by thinking that or saying that. We're created in his image to reflect his glory to all of creation. It's not a mere mortal thing, just write them off because they're, they're really nothing. We've been created to reflect the the goodness of God and we can do that sometimes. Human beings actually get it right and we can be good and we can be compassionate and we can exercise love. In all those ways, we reflect the divine nature. And yet what Jesus is obviously speaking to here is the refusal or the lack of reflecting the divine nature. What Jesus was addressing was a thing called sin that often we don't like to talk about. We get all uncomfortable about it. And it's funny, the Bible's not and God's not, as if God is surprised by it. But we are tempted to sort of hide it a little bit, like I don't want to go there. And I think one of the reasons is we've had really poor definitions now for centuries of what sin is. Our definition brings shame. It's become like a moral checklist of do's and don'ts, rights and wrongs, which then defines who's in and who's out, who's accepted, who's rejected. Whereas the, the, the Bible word, very simply, the Greek word harmatia, is to fall short of the mark. The whole thought is a marksman with an arrow that shoots at the target, but it doesn't get all the way there. And therefore, we need to ask, well, what do we fall short of? We fall short of that created image. So to sin, to be broken, is not, it's not this moral checklist as much as it is, is the choice to be less than fully human. And that's all it can be defined as, to be less than fully human, to reflect less than the divine image that we were created to bear. And so I, I think... Definitely, Jesus wasn't writing off humanity. He was addressing humanity's greatest need. This falling short, this ugly reflection, that doesn't suit you. The violence, the hatred, the fear, the shame. Even in ignorance, even when you have no idea the impact or the consequences of the decisions you're making. I don't hold that against you. Even in the context of those Roman soldiers who knew exactly what they were doing when we intentionally inflict and cause pain. 
God says, I bought it all on myself. I bore the sins of the world. This is what the cross is about. I'll take all the brokenness, all the pain, and I will wear it myself so that I can declare you are free. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do, for they know not the impact of what we do when we live less than fully human, less than the divine image that we're created with. And, you know, when I think whenever forgiveness from God is proclaimed, it's received all kinds of different ways. Have you noticed that? Some reject, some accept. Some, we've had testimonies of people who've been on a journey and then got to a point of acceptance. That's not always the case. I, I think probably the first reaction we often see, and particularly from our world, it's just denial. Forgive? Forgive me for what? What are you trying to say? And to tell you the truth, the way that the church for centuries has defined sin, I actually can understand why people get upset because they've been labelled. You're on the out, I'm on the in, when Scripture says God so loved the world. But you've made another step in there somewhere. You're in, I'm out. And I can understand why people don't want to be labelled because I don't want to be labelled. I don't appreciate it. No one here would like to be labelled on any level. We don't want that. And sometimes I think our, our world's response to what should be good news, they don't see good news, they just see labels. Yeah, wow. Whereas Jesus is saying, you know what? Whether it was in ignorance or whether it was a skilled, intentional thing, Father, forgive them. For they really don't know the consequences of their actions. They really don't know what they're doing right now. Even when they feel totally justified, even when you feel totally in the right to be wrong, God's forgiveness is extended towards us. And I think any reasonable human being that stops long enough to reflect on their life will actually recognise I'm less than perfect. I think that's a... That's a healthy human response. Another reaction is shame and cover up. And this is often the reaction of Christians, you know. It's like, God forgave me once, can he forgive me again? And if this, I've got issues in my life that keep recurring, sometimes the pain can be so great that rather than bring it to the light, we just want to actually bury it. Isn't that what happened in the garden with Adam? God came looking for Adam. Where are you? Why are you hiding? Well, I, I was ashamed because I was naked. Shame comes in. And, and we can unwittingly initiate and then enforce an isolation. Isolate from other people. I don't want people too close to my life because they might see who I really am and what I'm really like even isolate from God. I just don't, I just, Jesus has forgiven me for this so many times. I don't think I can go back. I think God must nearly be finished with me. And that's a really poor reaction because it's going to 
actually isolate you from the healing you need, from the forgiveness you need. See, here's, here's the amazing thing is that if you can open up, if you can move past guilt and shame and you can actually just receive, it activates the power of forgiveness in you. Now listen to this. The cross activated the power of forgiveness for all of us, but it's our choice whether we let it work in us. And the moment you can open up and just go, you know what, i got to admit, i got issues. Jesus goes, I don't hold that against you. And that forgiveness itself brings the power to change, the desire to change. When you're hiding something in the dark, no change is going to happen. It's just you're going to become more entrenched in darkness. But when you open it up and you say, God, just have me, I'm open, I might be messy, but I need you, then the power of forgiveness works in you to transform your life. Which sort of leads to the, the last response or the third response this morning that I'd talk about. Just general things I've seen, the way that people are confronted with the forgiveness of God. And I think this is the only really correct response. And it's just thankfulness. It's thankfulness. It's not covering the, it's, it's, or it's not posturing to say, well, I haven't done anything wrong. It's not covering things up because I'd be worried what people thought it's actually just saying, Lord, I'm so thankful. I'm being honest. I got issues. But you love me anyway. Father, forgive me for I know not what I'm doing. Even when I do know what I'm doing, I'm really not sure I really understand the implications or the consequences of that. But when I come to you and I open my life to you and I open my heart to you, there's no condemnation in you. All you ever want to do is build into my life and help me to be the person I was created to be. And so I can come to you absolutely open-hearted, without fear. And I can be open to you and just so thankful. Thank you, Jesus, for what you do in me. I mean, for us, hey, listen, the, the, the songs we sing in church before we preach, they are not to warm up. They're not the warm-up. They're an overflow. New Testament says the fruit of our lips, giving thanks. Thank you, God. The only correct response, not pushing back, not running and hiding, but surrender that just says, God, you know me and you love me anyway. And I'm so thankful. I'm accepted. I'm forgiven. You're for me. You're taking me somewhere. You're transforming my life. And that, is a beautiful gospel. That is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. That is the good news of the kingdom. So I want to ask us just a couple of questions as the team come back. And the first one would be this. Let me get to it. Am I honest enough with myself to admit I'm not perfect? Am I just honest enough with myself to admit I'm not perfect? Or do I, am I tempted to rationalize and justify behaviors that probably hurt others? Or can I just actually go, you know what? I don't have it all together. I'm far from perfect. And I just 
need to bring that to the light. I just need to lay that at God's feet and know that I'm accepted anyway. Because then the power of forgiveness is activated. And when the power of forgiveness is activated, the power to be transformed is activated. Second question is, do I struggle with guilt and shame because I bury things in my heart rather than receive forgiveness and the power to change? You know, do I struggle with those things? So you might be here right now and you might be thinking, you know, God's forgiven me so many times for this particular issue in my life. I just think I'm out of grace. You know, I think I've exhausted. I've exa- God must be weary of me. And then there's that temptation to bury things and the shame and the guilt becomes entrenched. Whereas the correct response is just to simply go, yep, that's, that's me. Lord, I, I need your healing. I need forgiveness. I need the power to be different. Correct response. Or do I hide things and do I suffer from guilt and shame because I, I live in the dark? And the third question is, what can I be thankful for that God doesn't hold against me today? And I think that would be the, you know, that would be something we could all come to after a message like this. Come on, if, you're, if you've been around for a while as a, as, a, as a believer and you've been following Jesus for a while, I am sure there's some big landmarks in your life that you're so glad God moved you on from. Man, I, I became a Christian at 21 years of age and I had a lot of stuff and I was only 21. And yet 35 years later, I can straight away, I can think of, God, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful that you don't hold that against me. I'm so thankful that you've empowered me to live different. I'm so thankful that you've moved me on in my journey from those things. Or maybe, you you know, you're a newer believer here and there's many of them. Maybe you, you, your faith is fairly fresh, fairly new. Well, for you, it'd be uppermost in your mind. God, I'm so thankful. So thankful for Jesus. So thankful for that statement on the cross. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Can we all stand together this morning? I'd just love to pray for us if you'd, happy to stand with me why don't we pray together let's just close our eyes and just open our hearts to God Father by the power of the Holy Spirit this morning visit each one of us I pray Lord if we have struggled with justifying rationalizing building walls Denial, refusal to believe there's anything right, uh, anything wrong. Lord, I pray you would melt our hearts, soften our hearts, to be honest with ourselves. We're not kidding anyone else. We're certainly not kidding you. But sometimes we can deceive ourselves. Thank you for your kindness, Holy Spirit, as you just reveal things to us that need to be revealed. Lord, for, for those of us who are struggling with shame and guilt, hidden things. I pray, Father, for the courage by the Holy Spirit to bring things to the light, to bring them to your feet, Jesus. To stop trying to cover and run and hide, but to bring them to you with a confidence that you don't condemn us, 
whether we know what we're doing or we don't, you don't condemn us. And Father, I pray for all of us that we'd leave this place with an overwhelming sense of thankfulness, that you don't hold stuff against us, that you know our condition, you know our hearts better than anyone, but you love us anyway. You accept us anyway. Forgiveness is complete and full and soul-restoring. And so we want to give you the fruit of our lips, giving thanks today. Lastly, if you're here in this place, and you might say, you know, I've never come to a point of understanding God's forgiveness or maybe surrendering my own agenda, my own heart, and trusting God with my life. You know, maybe you're here. Many people here I don't know. And maybe you're just at that point where it's like, you know, today is the day. It, it would be right. As I've preached the gospel, you've heard the good news of Jesus Christ. And you'd say, Pastor Chris, I, I think that's my next step. My next step is a point of surrender. I've been journeying for a while. I've been talking to friends, family, or I've hung around them for years. But now I understand. Now I know I can trust God, that God loves me. God wants me to receive his forgiveness, wants to activate forgiveness in my life. And friend, if that's you, just right where you stand, you can just open your heart right where you are, right where you are. I'd encourage you, pray on the inside. Use words like Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me. Heal me. Help me to be like you. Help me to follow you. And friend, if, if you just respond authentically to God like that, he's going to meet you right where you stand. Right where you stand. Father, I thank you for just sealing decisions that are being made right now. Meeting people in a powerful way right now. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Levi is going to come and let us know how we can follow through on some of that. Thanks, Levi. Hey, why don't we thank Pastor Chris? What a great message.